All right, well, here's a news bulletin. You ready? It's day two of 2022. What do you think about that news flash, huh? That's pretty enlightening, isn't it? Day two of the new year. Let me ask you this then. Have you set any New Year's goals for yourself? Have you set any New Year's resolutions? If you're like me and maybe Brian, maybe you're not the resolution type. I heard Miley Cyrus this week. I mean, I hear all kinds of different things in the TV and radio. I know. Yeah, she's a great philosopher. And you're going to like what she says next because I'm about to give it to you. But she, it was what promo on TV. I was listening and watching some shows, and there's a promo for all the many different ring in the New Year's shows, which, by the way, I never see the New Year's shows because I, I'm in bed long before midnight. I, I can't stay up that late. But yet here's what she was saying about her particular New Year's show that she was going to be part of. Her exact words, you'll like this, is about resolutions. It is worthy to write down. So get your pen, your paper ready. She said, I'm going to have a resolution not to have any resolutions because they always end in failure. I'm thinking, what kind of logic is that? I mean, if she's going to make a resolution not to have a resolution, is that still not a resolution? I mean, I'm not following that necessarily, and it even hurts my brain to even think about it very long at all. But I began to think about what she kind of said, especially the end about ending in failure, and I thought, well, I mean, that's probably right. A lot of New Year's resolutions do end in failure, and they seem to end rather quickly in failure, like they don't last very long in time. So I began to think about that as well, and I remember it a couple years ago. I was doing a New Year's message, and I began to look into, because of curiosity, just how long some of these resolutions begin to truly last, like in length of time. And I, it's about what I expected. Forbes magazine actually states that they're only effective about, well, to February. Here's what it says. Every year, more than 50% of people make New Year's resolutions to lose weight, quit smoking, work out, save money, get a promotion, get a raise, and more. And yet, virtually every study tells us that about around 80% of New Year's resolutions will get abandoned in February. In fact, one study found that gym sales dropped considerably from January to February. And that's no surprise. Because they just don't last very long. Which then makes us kind of ponder and ask, well, why do New Year's resolutions become abandoned so quickly? Which the article, according to Forbes, went on to say is mostly because the person making such a resolution is not emotionally committed to the goal in the first place. But let's think about goal setting. Is it not advantageous to set new goals for the new year? Or is it not a good idea? Is it not good for all of us then to make a new, fresh start and maybe reestablish priorities as the new year comes upon us? I think most people, when you look at those questions and consider it, I think most people say, yes, it, it is a good time to set new goals and to maybe rearrange and now maybe recommit to priorities that maybe were backslidden. But in doing so, it just seems that in setting goals and, and establishing priorities, most people set themselves up for failure because they create 
or they establish or they make a goal that is unrealistic. For example, if I set a goal that this year I am going to buy and purchase a sprint car and begin to race it and maybe even have a race team, I mean, that's a great goal for me. But it's a pie-in-the-sky dream goal that may never happen. I mean, those things require a lot of time and a lot of money, which I am very short of. So it's not a realistic goal. And I would probably not even make it past the end of this week before that goal would end in failure. So sometimes goals need to be realistic when we set them. But we want to really kind of think about priorities. So let's think about priorities. Let's just talk about priorities. And you think, well, what about a priority? I mean, there's maybe something I can do. That when it comes to priorities for New Year, maybe I can do something about that and establish something that is truly I can attain that I can do. Like, for example, make it a priority to read the Bible again daily. Or make it a priority to start each day with prayer and thanks to God for the day he's given us. Or maybe a priority to make sure I tell my loved ones I truly love them, spouse and children and so forth. In fact, we can make it a priority upon the beginning of this year that we're embarking on to simply not dwell on the past. Let 2021 just be in the rearview mirror and do not dwell and think about it any longer. We can make that a priority for us. Today, our New Year's message is precisely that. To make it a priority not to dwell upon the past year. Or perhaps reworded, it would be this. Don't worry about the things you cannot control or you cannot change. Just simply trust God. The fact is, you cannot change. I cannot change anything that happened last year. So why relive it? Why worry about something you cannot change, you cannot control? That is in the past. What we should do is move ahead. Don't think, don't fret, don't worry about the past. Make it a priority to simply trust God this year. Now you're thinking, I already trust God, Pastor. This message is not even for me. And I say, oh, Really? Oh, really? You trust God in everything in life? Really? Because I think, if the truth be known, a lot of us have wanted to maintain control on certain things in our life. Say, God, I've got this. I don't need this right now. I don't need you helping me. I've got this. So many times we want to drive the bus and put God in the, in the passenger seat rather than letting God be in the driving position and us be in the seat. Case in point is Abraham and Sarah. Remember, if you know the story of Genesis well, you know that Abraham and Sarah were told they were going to have a child. Did they wait for God? Were they trusting God that he would deliver? Well, not completely. They took upon themselves to have Hagar, which is Sarah's maidservant, to go to Abraham to have a child. They put something in motion themselves. So you think of all the patriarchs, of all the great people in the Bible, surely they are trusting God. But we see plenty of times they are not even trusting God. So it's a message for all of us. Yeah, we may position ourselves to play to trust God in life, but we can always maybe do a little better. So the message today is simply to trust God 
and make a priority upon this year to put our trust in him. The text is going to help us with today. Come to Ezekiel chapter 40. We're going to read a portion of it, a very small portion of it. We'll follow with some explanation, of course, some application. So stand with me this morning as we do so to honor the reading of the word. We're in Ezekiel chapter 40. Ezekiel chapter 40 is only four verses in length of our reading today. But here's the reading of Ezekiel chapter 40, verses 1 through 4. In the 25th year of our exile, at the beginning of the year on the 10th day of the month, in the 14th year after the city was struck down, on that very day, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me to the city. In visions of God, he brought me to the land of Israel and set me down a very high mountain on which was a structure like a city to the south. When he brought me there, behold, there was a man whose appearance was like bronze with a linen cord and a measuring reed in his hand. And he was standing in the gateway. And the man said to me, Son of man, look with your eyes and hear with your ears. And set your heart upon all that I shall show you. For you were brought here in order that I might show it to you. Declare all that you see to the house of Israel. O oh, Father, Lord, we come before you this morning into your presence now, Lord. Thanking you for the reading we've had today, but now opening our hearts, opening our minds, Lord, to receive this message about how we can take this passage, this text, how we can begin to understand it. And how we can then take it and apply it to our lives of how we can make you a priority and simply trust you upon the year that we are embarking. So with that thought, Lord, we just now ask your spirit to lead the guide. And these words that expressed and said here today would not be words that I want to say, but the words that you want us to hear. So Lord, take this time and use it for your glory. Penetrate our hearts now, Lord. Let us trust in you in all things. Let us trust in you of all things. Let's leave here today. Accomplishing that goal. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, notice that with the reading in Ezekiel chapter 40, in the 40th chapter where we're at, and in the 40th chapter here, then Ezekiel establishes a timeline for reference for us. Look again quickly at verse 1. Notice it says in the 25th year, so basically, yeah, it's the 25th year, 25 years since Ezekiel was taken from Jerusalem in exile and placement in Babylon. And it also tells us in the first verse that 14 years ago, 14 years since the city of Jerusalem, since he received the news of how the city had been destructed and ruined. Now with that information, in case you're wondering, that particular set of news that the city had been destroyed, particularly the temple, that didn't sit well with Ezekiel, nor even the Israelites for that matter. Now granted, they brought it on themselves by their disobedience. But as the city falls, notice Ezekiel is not one happy camper. In fact, he is reeling from the news that Jerusalem had fallen to the Babylonians. But as God allowed the Babylonians to capture the great beloved city, Ezekiel has little choice but to simply accept God's decision. In short, he, he has nothing 
at this particular moment in Ezekiel's life, he has nothing, absolutely nothing to benefit by dwelling on the past. And this is he must look forward to the future and simply put his trust in God. Also notice in verse 1 how it references how a new year is upon the people. It actually states at the beginning of the year that the hand of the Lord was upon Ezekiel and he brought him to the city. Now it's notable that God chose this particular time at the beginning of the year. You know, but God's never late. He's never early. God is always on time. But scholars look upon the text and begin to dissect it and they suggest then that, well, what time is it precisely that Ezekiel is receiving this information, this vision upon the new year? Because the Israelite Jewish calendar is much different than our calendar, and there are actually two frames of reference of when they begin their new year. Now, most likely when Ezekiel was writing this, when Ezekiel was living this particular moment, it was long after the Exodus, and God had told the people during the Exodus to reestablish the new year during the month of Nisan, which is actually April-May for us. And so many say this is probably April 28th of 573. That's the date of their new year. Which seems odd to us because this is our new year, January 2022, two days ago. But for the Israelite, that would not be the occasion. It'd be later, like in April. But other scholars say, no, it's not April. That's not the beginning of the new year. In Israelites' history, in the seventh month, it actually is their beginning of the new year in Tishri, which is October. And the debate argues among some scholars about whether it's April or October. They all agree it's 573. But some say April, some say October. And that's just some information you can share at your favorite coffee house. Because nonetheless here, Ezekiel is taken to the city. Yes, he's taken to the city, verse 1, in the vision, in verse 2. If you go back to the text in verses 2 and 3, notice he's set up on a very high mountain and then observes a man, in verse 3, an appearance like bronze with a measuring rod. That's the vision he receives. Now, perhaps bewildered and maybe a little confused. I mean, think about it. It has to be a little strange to go into a desolate city that's been ruined in a vision and see a man appearing like bronze with a measure on him. It's got to seem strange. So as he's in this vision, maybe bewildered and confused, Ezekiel just may simply trust God. That's all he can do. And so God tells him via the angelic messenger adorned in bronze in verse 4. He says, Son of man, look with your eyes and hear with your ears and set your heart upon all that I will show you. For you were brought here in order that I might show it to you. Furthermore, he says, declare all that you see to the house of Israel. In short, God encourages Ezekiel to trust him. More specifically, he instructs Ezekiel to look, to listen, and commit to heart all that he is about to see that God will be shown to him. And what is God about to show Ezekiel? The future. He's taking an opportunity to show Ezekiel what will happen in the future, which is the restoration of the temple, the most holy, sacred, beloved place of the Jewish people. The 
place that was destroyed by the barbarians called the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. He gives him the glimpse of the future, of this beautiful temple that will be established. Now for Ezekiel, as he receives that, that's got to be warming his heart greatly. Andrew Knowles acknowledges Ezekiel's final visions are of a new temple, beautifully and perfectly built, and the Lord returning to dwell among his people. As Ezekiel is both priest and prophet, this is a fitting climax for his book. I mean, it's got a woman's heart greatly to know that this is the future for his temple and for the people and for the nation. Indeed, the vision of great hope for all the people. But if indeed comes to pass, and it shall, and it will, then it's going to require trust in God. Lamar Cooper adds, the restoration of the temple would be a significant step in the reestablishment of Israel's national and spiritual identity. The departure of the glory of God that he had reported in chapters 10 through 11, along with the final destruction of Jerusalem, were difficult circumstances. The vision of the restored temple was a statement of affirmation about the future of the nation. The magnitude and magnificence of the temple in its complex indicated that Ezekiel clearly foresaw the restored community as supplanting that of David and Solomon. The temple of the last days would be a source of blessing and a lamp of truth to the whole world. The restored temple represents God's desire to be in the midst of his people and suggests his accessibility to them and desire to bless them. That is a lot of thought by scholarly people. And that's a very long comment from Lamar Cooper. But it establishes that God was giving Ezekiel a clear vision, a clear glimpse of the future. A day to come in which God would bless his people and dwell among them. Clearly, Ezekiel receiving this vision. But here's the thing you have to know. I can assure you, to receive such a blessing from God required trust. I mean, think about Ezekiel's situation and all the people that are with him. Think about how easy it would have been for Ezekiel reeling at the news of the falling city. How easy it would have been for him to relive the past or to simply be angry with God for what has happened. I mean, consider for Ezekiel, it would have been a horrible year for him and his people. I mean, actually, it's not just one year that had been bad for him, but 25 years they've been in exile, away from their home and their family. If there's anyone who welcomed the new year, it'd be Ezekiel and the people. They've been hoping and, and praying that a new temple would be would. would be restored for them and be set free from the oppression of the Babylonians. But then again, they've probably been happy, hoping and praying it for the last 24 years. But in God's perfect timing, this year is different. Because God sends an angelic messenger adorned in bronze, and in Revelation shows Ezekiel a beautiful, restored temple. You think that didn't require trust? That God would come through with what he promised? Absolutely it did. 
trusting that God would deliver, that the temple would be as magnificent as the vision revealed. So notice that trust was an integral part, an integral action by Ezekiel and the nation as the new year was upon them. They were trusting God even when it seemed that he was not listening, that he was not watching, that he did not care. They were listening and watching God was seeing it all. And this vision that Ezekiel received, he required trusting God that he would deliver his promise. And let's apply that thought. Is that how you feel today? Or maybe the year we just ended? Or maybe the last two or three years? Do you feel somehow way that God is not listening to you? That God does not care about your situation or your predicament that you are in? Are you overwhelmed by what's happened in the continuation of the pandemic? I mean, isn't it just amazing that we are now entering our third year of talking about the coronavirus? In spring of 2020 is when we shut down the church for a period of time, when it was first introduced to our area. It's amazing now that 2020, 2021, and now 2022, we're still talking about it. And because it's still happening, because it's still lingering, if you will, some people are just fed up about it. They're just fed up with COVID. The coronavirus, I mean, you're just tired of it. They're fed up, angry that it's still around. Some people even blaming God and angry that there's nothing going to return back to normal. So in short, if you will, for some people, they just simply do not place their trust in God anymore. You don't care. He's not listening. He's not watching. Now I pray you're not one of them. But if somehow, some way, you find yourself in a position where your trust in God is waning, then it's time to do something about it. What better time than now to reestablish your trust in God than the beginning of a new year? What better time to reestablish your priority as truly God as you say, God, this year, whatever happens, I trust you. This year, I give it all to you. I'm going to surrender to you completely, and I trust you in everything, in everything. What better time to make that priority than now? So with that thought, with that being now our priority to simply trust God, let us discuss how we can take steps to simply trust God throughout this year. There's five steps to restore trusting God to make him priority in the new year. I'm going to say them quickly, and then we'll review each of them for a while. So here's the five steps. Number one, seek truth in Scripture. Number two, confess unbelief. Number three, share your concerns with a community of believers. Number four, remember God and spend time with him. And number five, look for things to be grateful. Now, if you're hurriedly trying to write them down, you didn't get them, don't worry, because we're going to go to each of them once more. Again, the first, how to restore trust in God, making priority in this particular year, is to seek truth in Scripture. This could be reworded as check out God's credentials. God's credentials is recorded in Scripture, the Bible. There it is. 
Literally, this is God's word. And furthermore, it is unchanging and is completely trustworthy. Every time Sheila and one of the leaders come to the children, they always ask them pertaining to the Bible, is it true? What do they say? It is true. They believe they've been they know that everything written in here is the word of God. It's completely unchanging and totally trustworthy. And it records many ways that God has responded in difficult times in the past with many different people which then solidly states that he truly is trustworthy. And our featured text today is one of hundreds you can find within the Bible that tells us truly that God is proven to be valid, honorable, completely trustworthy. And his credentials are there. For another example, I used Abraham earlier, of maybe how he and Sarah didn't put their total trust in God. But in the beginning of Abraham's call in Genesis 12, let it be recorded and stated, remembered, man, he fully trusted God. Because God called to Abraham at the city of Ur, and he said, "Guy, Abraham, leave and go. Abraham didn't even know where he was going. He just simply got up and went. So we have evidence that, yeah, Abraham put all trust in God. We have evidence of how in life it seems to be waning at times. Because, again, him and Sarah did have a mistrust at one particular time. So it shows us that we can have initial trust in God at moments in our life. But in how life begins to happen, sometimes we lose some of that trust in God. We want to control certain outcomes. But Scripture is full of how we can totally trust God. And the fact then is this, that the truth revealed in Scripture frees you from the unrealistic scenarios that enter your heart and mind and somehow you cannot trust God. Listen to this. It is the enemy. Who do you think tries to convince you you cannot trust God? It is the enemy. Our adversary, the devil, he tries to convince you that God is not reliable and not trustworthy. So, if listen, if you don't run to the word, to remind you of truth and difficult times and circumstances, it is much easier for you to be led into lies about your life and who God truly is. The point is this. You need a strong, solid foundation of Scripture to stand on, especially when you feel uncertain. And the Bible is that. It is unfailing, the unchanging word. You can cling to his truth when life throws you the curveball. And you can hit a home run with the word of God. So seek truth in scripture. Secondly, confess unbelief. Now be honest. Just be totally honest. When you're with God and you're in the presence of God and you come to him in prayer, just be honest with him. God can handle it. I assure you, God can handle you being honest with him. I mean, listen, you think that you're the only person to ever have any kind of doubt in God? Or that you're the only person to be angry with God or to ever any not trusting God? In the story of Moses, we constantly find Moses demonstrating some doubt or some anger or a lack of trust in God. It's throughout the Pentateuch. 
Case in point, let's go to Numbers chapter 11, verses 21 through 23, when Moses doubted God could take care of the concern about the food. Moses said in verse 21, Numbers 11, the people among who I am number 600,000 on foot. That's a lot of people. And you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them and be enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them and be enough for them? And the Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's hand short-handed? Now you will see whether my word will come true for you or not. Moses had a little doubt in his mind at times. Moses doubted that God could truly provide for the people. But then God showed him. Other instances in the life of Moses, he got a little angry. Especially when Pharaoh made brick building a little harder for his brothers. In Exodus chapter 5, verse 22, it says, Moses returned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Of course, I read it with a little bit of attitude, but imagine how Moses was feeling. One particular moment he did not trust God is when he struck the rock. Numbers chapter 20, verse 9. So Moses took the staff in the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together from the rock. Moses said to them, listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and the livestock drank. But, verse 12, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community in the land I give them. Clearly it says he did not trust him. The point is to make sure that we make God a priority, placing our trust in him, means that we must confess our unbelief. Confess any mistrust to him, any doubt or anger. It happens to everyone at some point. So don't keep it inside to the point where it leads you away from God. Thirdly, share your concerns with your community of believers. Share your concerns with your community of believers. Now, with that, recognize this. It ain't like you got to make a PSA. You know what a PSA is? A public service announcement. It ain't like you got to get in the bullhorn or get up here in front of everybody and say, hey, I'm not trusting God anymore. You don't have to do that. It ain't, listen, another word of caution is don't get on Facebook and tell everybody about it. Now the whole world knows. But always recognize God puts someone in your path to confide in. Find someone. God always puts someone in your path, a believer, in your path, in your walk, to help you so that you can, can share your concern and your thoughts and your feelings. Find that person you trust and begin to confide in them. God always makes that person available for us. Such as it was with Paul. Paul was, in my estimation, the greatest evangelist to ever live. But in his life, I mean, he still had struggles. 
And he confided in his trustworthy friends about things that he's experiencing, particularly Barnabas. As Barnabas proved to Paul to be a valuable resource, a mentor, and friend as they journeyed together. You're not alone. Find someone to trust and confide in. You're not facing struggles alone in your life. But when you're struggling, share those thoughts and concerns with another follower of Jesus. Share that with a believer that you know you can trust. Confide in someone. Share your thoughts with a believer. Fourth, remember God and spend time with him. You're thinking, that seems absolutely ridiculous that you have to tell me to remember God. Because he's the one I'm angry with, I'm doubting, and mistrusting in the first place. So, of course, I remember God. But it tells us to remember God and seek his presence. Remember when you were first drawn to God, like Declan was a few weeks ago? That great anticipation that, that want to be here in church, you just want to be around other believers? You remember how it was when you first come to accept Christ? It tells us to seek his presence and remember how we were first drawn to him. I mean, acknowledge that God wants you to come to him in every circumstance. And he wants you to come to him and just simply spend time with him. You know the story of Martha and of Mary and how Martha made herself busy, 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 right? And Mary got upset. What was Mary doing? Simply spending time with Jesus. Just make some time to spend with Jesus. Remember him. And just ask for his help. I mean, it's not much unlike spending time with your best friend or spouse. I mean, she and I have been married for 37. They've been married for 35, Brian and Angie. Love's been married for a long time. And here's the newsflash. Sometimes you're going to go on each other's nerves when you've been married that long. Do I hear an amen? Yeah. It happens. We're imperfect people. So as we're imperfect people, there's going to be a time where we have to probably spend a few, I'm not days, but hours apart because maybe we got on each other's nerves. But allow then that time to pass, let things cool down, and then remember to come back to them. Likewise, it is with God. You may get upset, may get angry with God, but spend some quality time with Him. And when you do, just pray fervently. Read His Word. Make a solid effort to regain relationship and trust. Has the previous step even encouraged? Discuss God with other believers. Allow your heart to be softened again to trust God. In short, what I'm saying is just let go. Just let go. And recognize that in life, we place trust in someone or something every day. We do. We place trust in the alarm waking us up. We place trust in the doctor telling us the news of our health. Every kid on that bus puts trust in me getting to school on time and safely. We trust a pilot, Jeannie, I don't think you flew to Florida, but she was in Florida. But if you fly anywhere, you're trusting that pilot wherever you go. Listen, after a while, you may go eat. You're going to trust the cook that's preparing that food for you. And like any of you are going to get up when you go into that restaurant and you're going to say, get out of the way, dude, let me cook my own. 
You're going to trust a cook. So we place trust in something every day. But you can't place your trust in God? Come on. We can place our trust in God. And it starts by remembering him and spending time with him. And then fifthly and finally, look for things to be grateful. Now, admittedly, finding things to be grateful can be difficult when you're upset and angry and experiencing doubt and mistrust. But believe me, God has given you many things in which to be grateful for. So as you begin to reflect, just write it down. Start a journal. Keep a record of his blessings. A few might immediately come to mind, such as the fact that, I mean, his son Jesus died for you. Or maybe a second would come to mind the fact that you have special people in your life that you love. A spouse, a child, a friend, a pastor. Just take five minutes without any kind of interruption and brainstorm. And it's all the things you can think about as a blessing from God. The goal really here is to reestablish trust in that relationship. Because when we begin to trust God, it builds our confidence in Him for the future. Raises our expectations of what He can and will do. And sets us up to trust Him more the next time. Let me say that again. When we begin to trust God, it builds our confidence in Him for the future, raises our expectations of what He can and will do, and sets us up to trust Him more the next time. Five ways that we can restore trust in God and make Him a priority in the new year. Seek truth in Scripture, confess unbelief, share concerns of other believers, Remember God to spend time with him and look for things to be grateful. In the text, in Ezekiel chapter 40, we recognize and notice how Ezekiel and the nation placed their hope in God and trusted him. It was a new year for them. It was a good time then for them to restore trust, reestablish priorities, and make God first again, as it is for us. And the bottom line is this. Let last year go. Let it go. Let the year before go. I mean, it's done. It's over. You can't change it. Why relive it? It's history. It's in the past. Have you seen Lion King? Do you know when Rafiki takes Simba and hits him on the head? And Simba says, what did you do that for? That hurt. He says, why relive it? It's in the past. It's the same for us. I don't have to come and hit you, do I? I'm not going to be Rafiki. You can be Simba. But don't reflect upon the past. Let it go. Focus on the future. And in the future, which starts now, in this new year, don't carry your anxieties of the past year in this year. Just place your faith and trust in God. He is in control. And you can trust him with the coming year. With all the years that we have of life, and even with the endless age of eternity, we can trust him through all that. He completely and totally is trustworthy. So let us trust in him. That's our priority for this year. Father.
But we thank you, Lord, for this message today. How emphasized is something of a priority that maybe we need to do in life. Let's today, Lord, just simply just trust you in everything. Let's recognize there are times we may not trust you. Reflect upon those particular times now, Lord. And just cast it aside. And start anew. Start fresh. Start now. By saying, today, Lord, I trust you with anything and everything. If there's one person I can place my trust in, God, it is you. So with that thought in mind, Lord, today we're thankful for how we have someone like you we can place our trust in. Thank you, Lord, for how we can now today make it new of our commitment to you and our relationship to you and place our trust in you now. We place our trust in you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and stand with me this morning as we begin to reflect upon the message.